Thanks for listening to the church at Severn Run Messages Podcast. You can find more information about the church at severnrun.com. Enjoy the message. Good morning. If you have your Bible with you, would you open to Romans chapter 5 for me, please? Romans chapter 5. I want to read the first 11 verses. And if you don't have your Bible with you, then you can also just look up here on the screen. All right, Romans chapter 5. And I'll start with verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though, you know, for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Hi. My name is Ron. I'm an alcoholic. It's been six years, 11 months, and 20 days since my last drink. Assuming that many of you have not been to an AA meeting, that's how you start out at every AA meeting. But then after you've introduced yourself that one time, then what you do from then on, anytime you want to speak, is you say, hi, I'm Ron, I'm an alcoholic. And then you say what you want to say. Everybody does it. You see, everybody does it just to remind each of us that we're all in the same boat, that we're all there for the same reason, you know? I remember my very first proper AA meeting some eight years ago. I've got to be honest with you. It was at one of the lowest points in my life. I had, uh, my family and I were living in England. I had just drank away a PhD, a promising teaching career. Um, I had hurt uh, my bride. I had hurt my children. I'd humiliated myself publicly. I had dishonored God. I had betrayed my calling. Most of my friends didn't want to know me didn't have enough money to get us back to the United States, so we were stuck, but we had a problem because I was being kicked out of the home that we lived in because it was uh, campus housing. I went from being one of the most popular professors on campus to persona non grata in less than 24 hours. And it's amazing 
how quickly your critics will come out when you publicly fail. Now, I don't recommend it, but just so you know, I mean, they come from everywhere. And for some reason, if you fail publicly, people feel the freedom to say stuff to your face that they would never say to anybody else. And at that moment in time, you just stand there and take it because you figure you got it coming, you know? And so we were at a pretty desperate place when I walked in for my first AA meeting. It had been three days since my last drink, and i got to be honest with you, I was scared. And it had been kind of a bad week, if you know what I mean. And I sat down, and I remember it was about 15, 16 guys, men and women in the room, and um, they started, and I sort of knew about 12 steps and stuff and all that, but I, I, it came around to my turn, and I said... Uh, <laughs> I said, hi, my name is Ron, and I think I might possibly be an alcoholic. And it's been three days since my last drink. And you know what they did? They applauded. Now, it turns out I got to know these folks pretty well, and it turns out that some of them at that point in time, at that meeting, they had nine months sobriety or two years sobriety or three years or seven years. There was a guy there who has 17 years sobriety. These folks, all of these folks sober, and they applauded me because I've gone 72 hours without a drink. See, that's what I loved about AA meetings. What I love about AA meetings is that nobody judges you because we're all there for the same reason. We're all there because we have blown PhDs and we've blown careers and we've destroyed families and we've lost our homes or maybe we've lost our marriages or our children are estranged from us or we've taken somebody else's life or harmed somebody else because we are powerless over this thing called alcohol because we're drunks. And see, because we go in and nobody judges you, you just can get on with the business of living. You see, when you recognize that everyone is in the same boat, that you have the same struggle to, to some extent or another, then you can just get on with life. And i got to tell you, I'll be honest with you. I mean, I've been a follower of Jesus for a while, and I've been an ordained minister for a while, and I had prayed, and I read books, and I went to seminars, and I listened to tapes and videos of people talking about how to get on top of this alcohol thing, and I had done spiritual retreats, but it was only when I put myself in the same room with people who had the same problem that God began to turn my life around. Sometimes I wish... Not, not always, but sometimes I wish that's how we'd start a worship gathering. We would just say, hi, my name is Ron. I'm a sinner, and it's been 12 minutes since my last sin. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Wouldn't it be nice to just kind of get it out there from time to time to say, hi, my name is Ron and I'm a sinner. And we just all acknowledge that we're in the same boat, that we've all sinned. Wouldn't it be wonderful because then no one would feel the freedom to judge anyone else and you wouldn't have to be afraid that somebody else was judging you. Because, you know, if it had been a really bad week, I could say, hi, my name is Ron, I'm a notorious sinner or a blatant sinner or a habitual sinner. But you would never hear me say, hi, I'm Ron and I sinned once. It was, it was a long time ago, but it was... You you know, or, hi, my name is Ron, and I have my act together, and if you follow me, you can have your act together. Nobody would say that, 
Because we would all recognize that we're in the same boat, right? And so then that would mean if we recognized that we were in the same boat, then we wouldn't judge each other. I mean, I don't, I don't have to convince you, right? I, I'm pretty certain, I mean, you guys look like a sharp crowd. I'm pretty certain I don't have to convince you that there's no one in this room who has lived a morally perfect life, right? I mean, if you have, I really would like to talk with you. <laughs> Everyone in this room knows that at some point in our lives, we've known to do right and we've opted to do wrong. Right? Everyone in this room knows that at some point in our lives that we've, we've, we've dropped the ball, that we've missed the mark, that we've decided to be our own dog, call our own shots, decide right and wrong for ourselves. Every one of us in this room knows that we've done that, that we've been selfish at some time, or envious at some time, or jealous at some time, or unkind or downright hateful at some time, or prejudiced at some time. I mean, every one of us in this room knows that. Right? I don't have to convince you of that. Every one of us knows that at some point in our lives, we have damaged someone else and maybe even someone close to us because we spoke too much, because we neglected too much, because we expected too much, or because we drank too much. Right? We really are in the same boat. And... The Bible seems to back us up on this. In Romans chapter 3 it says, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They've together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways and the way of peace they do not know. The way of peace they do not know. There's no fear of God before their eyes. See, it's not exactly the feel-good passage of the year, but it makes the point, right? We're all in the same boat. We're all in the same boat. No one in this room is better than anyone else in this room, which means then that no one in this room has the right to judge anyone else in this room. You, you make that connection, right? Because we're all in the same boat. But see, you know what happens, right? Is that you don't have to judge me because I'll, I'll do the judging for you, you know? Do you know what I mean? I mean, I'll just judge myself. I'll look around and I'll see the folks in this room and I'll recognize that there are some folks in this room who are just, they obviously are, you know, they haven't sinned as much as me, right? I mean, Pastor Chris Martin, he's not sinned as much as me. There's no possible way. I know Chris. Chris and I have go back years. I mean, he's my brother from another mother. You can probably see the resemblance. I mean, <laughs> but even so, I know him well enough to know that he just doesn't sin as much as me, Right? I, I, I know that, uh, that my wife Barbara, my bride Barbara, did you know my bar bride Barbara doesn't even cuss much? <laughs> no, seriously, my bride Barbara, she wouldn't even think to dishonor God in some of the ways that I have dishonored God. 
You see, what I do is I do the judging myself. You don't have to judge me because I'll judge myself and I'll determine that my sin is worse than your sin. My sin is more heinous than yours. My sin is more frequent than yours. But the problem is, the question is not, do I sin more than Chris Martin? The answer is yes. The problem isn't, do I, have I committed more heinous sins than my bride Barbara? The answer is yes. But that's not the issue. The issue is that Chris Martin and my bride and Pastor Ben Kennedy and me all together have the same problem. We have a sin problem. The comparisons make no sense. It's like arguing over whose garbage smells worse. <laughs> really? Just think about it. We all have garbage. So am I really going to think less of you because I think my garbage smells like roses and yours doesn't? No. Because we're all in the same place. Because we all recognize that we've dishonored God and that we've harmed others with our lives. Then if we'll just recognize that on the front end, then we can just get on with the business of living, right? Here, check this out. Look at uh, Romans chapter 5 with me again, okay? Romans chapter 5, starting with verse 1. And therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our suffering. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Anybody know what that word justified means? Anybody here? Help me out. Somebody. What does justified mean? Take a stab at it. Made not guilty. Made right. Somebody else. Just as if I'd never did it. Okay. Anyone else? Okay, the word justified, the, the one that Paul uses right there, it quite literally is translated to be declared in the right. It doesn't mean that you're right. It means that you've been declared in the right. It means to be moved from the loss column to the win column, even though you didn't score enough points. That's what it means to be declared in the right. And here's the question that you got to ask yourself is, well, we've just spent the last 10 minutes talking about the fact that we're, you know, liars and miscreants and that we steal even if it's the credit from somebody else and that we all have this sin problem. So how now can we be declared in the right? How does God do that? Well, according to Paul, he says that we've been declared to be in the right because we have faith. That it's that our faith in God, what matters most, is our life of faith. See, Dr. A.W. Tozer once said that the most important thing about you and me is what comes to mind when we think about God. Well, it appears that Paul would say the most important thing about us is our faith. Now, I need to ask you to press the pause button here for a second, because can I just, I want to just share a pet peeve with you just for a minute, okay? It's not going to take long, I promise. 
Sometimes I'll be having a spiritual conversation with someone and someone else will be around over here in the spiritual conversation. And when I start to talk about how we need to put our faith in Jesus Christ, how we entrust ourselves to God and what that looks like and those sorts of things, on occasion, actually more times than you'd be amazed how often, someone will interrupt and say something really profound like, yes, faith is good. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe. You ever heard anybody say that? It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe. Now, obviously, I'm in the midst of a spiritual conversation. I'm kind of focused on what's going on. So I never really have time to deal with that. But kind of one of my fantasies is to be able to just pause the conversation and turn to the person and say, it it doesn't matter what we believe as long as we believe. Is that what I understand you to be saying? Yeah, that's right. It doesn't matter. You know, faith is a good thing. As long as you believe, it's all that matters. So I could believe that the clouds are uh, actually, you know, made of cotton candy. I could believe that 2 plus 2 is 153. I could believe the Eiffel Tower is actually in Singapore. And I could believe that I'm going to, you know, live to be 97 without arthritis. I could believe all of those things, and it doesn't matter because as long as I believe, that's all that matters. That's right. So I could believe that the world actually rests on this giant golden tortoise who lumbers through the universe. I could believe that. Or I could believe that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God and that if I entrust myself to him, I can have a relationship with him and I can have the Holy Spirit of God come live inside me. But it doesn't matter what I believe just as long as I believe. Is that what you're telling me, Bunky? And then and see, and I can't say this part because I know it would be mean-spirited, but I just want to very calmly look them in the eye and say, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard a human being say in my life. And Paul is not saying that. I want to be really clear on this. Paul isn't saying just some arbitrary faith in whatever. He's saying faith in a person, faith in Jesus Christ. That's what you have to have. It's that faith that justifies you. It's that faith that means you then have peace with God when you entrust yourself fully, totally to God. But part of the challenge for us is faith feels like nothing to some of us. And so it feels like we're getting a free lunch, and nobody gets a free lunch. We all know that, right? And see, and the problem with that isn't that faith is nothing. It's that we just don't value faith the way God values faith. It's that we don't understand God. See, a couple of thousand years ago, there lived a man named Jesus. And the most important thing I can tell you about Jesus is that he's the son of God. And while he lived here on earth, there was a fellow who came to him. He was a commander, a military guy. And he had people in, and he was an authority and had people under him. And um, he came because his servant was ill. And I want to read this to you because it's really fascinating. Matthew chapter 18, starting with verse 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? And the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but Jesus, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and I tell this one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Did you catch that? Jesus affirms his faith. 
Just a few chapters later in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is there at the temple where people are bringing their offering and there's this widow who comes and she only has two pennies to her name and she puts it in and she walks away without anybody noticing except Jesus noticed and he points out to the disciples, he says, look at this, you know, other people give out of this wealth but this woman has given all she has and at first glance we think that he's affirming her generosity but it's actually more than that. He's affirming her 